your story with us uh, this morning. For what, maybe two years, maybe about that. Um, he is a Stanford alumni, uh, Stanford football player, and uh, he was uh, he was baptized with us, him and his daughter Emily, back in June, I believe it was. So, um, and uh, you're a single dad who has three amazing children, and uh, just so glad you can share your story. So, why don't you go for it? Thank you. Good morning, Discovery. A weekend of surprises with that rain yesterday and then me up here. So um, a few weeks back, John shared his message by starting with the statement, I am not supposed to be here. And sitting in the seats that morning, I said, amen, me too. <laughs> you know. And so let me explain a little bit of that to you. By the time I got to high school, my life experiences had formed my own pretty strong sense of self-identity. I knew my weaknesses. I was pretty socially awkward, not the brightest but I had an overwhelming sense that I could outwork anybody. And I, I was very optimistic in that my drive to succeed could overcome any obstacles. And for a long time, that worked. I became a distance runner because you didn't have to depend on anybody else. Uh, and took that and some great grades and some studying and gave up social life to get to Stanford where I was an engineering student. At Stanford, I succeeded in cross country and track. And on a thing that makes no sense to anybody, when I got injured in cross country, this 150-pound guy decided to play football for the first time in his life. <laughs> Ironically, I did pretty well, and then when playing football extended into scholarship and grad school and finally a job coaching at Stanford, I felt a stamp of approval on my life. I had made it. Coaching football is a 100-hour work week. It's a lot of stress. I remember being a 24-year-old with ulcers. But your self-esteem gets pumped up being on that national stage, games on TV, traveling places with police escorts and private jets, and being recognized for the shirt you were wearing and what people saw on the internet. My faith in Jesus and understanding of his plan was, had really grown at Stanford for the first time in my life where I attended church and athletes in action. But when you're working that much and your focus, everything in life is on your job, that became stagnant. I wish that I figured it all out very quickly but I'm pretty strong-willed, and the Lord took some time with me. I finally left coaching after nine different schools in 2009 to focus my efforts on my family. I thought this was my way to work things out now. We had a beautiful daughter and twin boys and moved to Davis hoping to start a new job. But that wasn't the answer. My wife left. The two children began battling epileptic seizures. That, as a parent, having a two-year-old flopping on the ground was terrifying. And so by Father's Day in June 2014, I was sitting at home, overwhelmed, battling deep anxiety and profound discouragement. So I did what anybody does when you're in trouble. You Google it. <laughs> and I just checked this morning. I was very happy to say that when you Google churches in Davis, number one is discovery. <laughs> so good job, marketing team. <laughs> you know, there wasn't like a triple-A atheist church to start with. I would have been in trouble. So I just came, parked, walked in, sat in the back corner, and with Pastor John on sabbatical that summer, one of the members of church just stood up and spoke from his heart about fatherhood. I cannot really remember the details of the message, but I remember sitting alone in the dark for the first time, I felt God's love for me in my life. And I embarked on a journey of giving up control, of giving up the notion that I could change every situation just by outworking people, and slowly trading anxiety and hopelessness for a peace that comes from turning your life over to the Lord. 
and also seeing both my successes and my failures in the past through a lens of his grace. It is very, very difficult for those who like to, us to like to be in control and takes a lot of humility to accept that my work and effort alone cannot control my life. And as Mike shared last week, trusting God in the middle of the storm is really the answer. But deeply, as I really committed to studying his word and really understood what Jesus did in his ministry and on the cross, I was able to reach out and take the power that comes from knowing that no matter what happens in life, we've already won. We know what the ending of the story is going to be. And God has also, here at Discovery, taught me the power for the first time in my life being a member of a church of Christian community. And the fear of opening up your flaws or your mistakes or your past is minuscule compared to the power of prayer and advice you get from people willing to help you. Today, I can share with you that there's still a lot of great uncertainty. I'm not sure about my career, the kids' health, finances, and future. But each morning, I remind myself, I am not in control, but I still trust God. And the one thing that I can truly say today in closing is that I and God has me exactly where he wants me to be right now. He's given me a hunger to humbly seek him. He has an amazing community here. And for those of you who are new or who just come and go, I encourage you to reach out to the folks here at Discovery. I can just go row by row of the people who have encouraged, inspired, and mentored me. And to recognize that deep authenticity with each other is really what a healthy relationship is about. And God's love for me fills me to the point where I can pour my heart into the four amazing people he has in my care. Last week, I was so encouraged by Mike's testimony in his ministry and the perspective that he has now of the distant storms in his life. And I was encouraged by the way that God used his faithfulness for his power and for Mike's plan. I do not yet have the finished picture of some days I'm still walking through the valley. But I'm moving forward by trusting God. And one of my favorite verses that really encapsulates not only God's promises, but what our role in it is, is from Jeremiah 11. This is what the Lord says, When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, said the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Thank you very Amen. much. Amen. Amazing. I've, I've talked to Craig about sharing um, for a while, um, but what, what I believe is that there is a reason that God wanted that story shared today, that there's somebody here that needs to be blessed by that, somebody needs to be encouraged, somebody needs to be challenged. Um, and uh, Craig, I hope you'll be around, that somebody can, can find you and, and talk to you. Um, and uh, what we want you to know as we share these stories is that um, above all, you're not alone uh, in what you go through. Um, in fact, uh, we've been there in many ways, 
Um, and in many ways, we're still there. Um, and we're just seeking uh, God and seeking Christ in the midst of uh, those things. And we're just a bunch of people that have seen Jesus and are following him through uh, the midst of all that we grapple with, both internally uh, and externally. Um, Craig uh, has been getting what we call here wrecked. Um, we're in a series that we called wrecked. And so I say, well, what does, that, what does that mean, getting wrecked? Craig just gave us a great example of that where sometimes on the outside we are getting knocked and beaten and battered. Uh, but in the midst of it all, God is doing a work inside of us and teaching us. When we are getting wrecked, we are um, losing ourselves. We are losing our dependence. We are being stripped of our dependence on ourselves and giving up control and instead growing in dependence on our good heavenly Father. And so we're looking in this series and we're looking at a, a man named Paul. Uh, and we're looking at some of the, the big lessons that we've been getting out of the series uh, are this. Uh, number one, that there is a call. Uh, there, there's a lesson about a call that God has on our lives, that God has a big story that he's working out to bring people to him. And we're part of that, being brought to him and then by being used uh, to bring others. Um, there's a lesson about the journey, that very often the journey does not look like we thought it would look like. It does not go like we had planned. Uh, but there's also a lesson about God in the midst of it all. And that lesson is that he is walking with us every step of that journey. And he is leading us and he is guiding us and he is growing us. We're in Acts chapter 27. If you want to turn with me in your Bibles there. Uh, if you need a Bible, put up your hand. We'll, we'll give you one. Um, and then you can turn to page 546 in that Bible. You can also open your Bible on your, uh, your phone or other device on that app as well. Um, a little bit of uh, context here. Uh, we're talking about a man named Paul who had uh, received Jesus in a very dramatic way. But when he received uh, Jesus, he also uh, received an incredible call to be part of uh, God's plan in sharing Jesus throughout the world. And so Jesus, uh, Paul went about doing that work and he went through a lot of hardship along the way. And uh, eventually uh, he was arrested and in the midst of that arrest and that trial, he was uh, decided that he was going to be shipped off to Rome. Um, and so we find him now on that trip going to Rome. Uh, we can look at a map of his journey and where, where he's been. We've been kind of studying through this verse by verse in these chapters, looking at where Paul's gone. And where uh, we've just left Paul is that uh, they were in a place called Fair Havens, which Fair Havens sounds good to me. Uh, maybe they should have just stayed there. But they decided that they were going to push through because all of the crew of the ship wanted to get to this place called Phoenix. Uh, not Phoenix, Arizona. Uh, but somehow it's, Phoenix was something that was alluring to uh, this uh, ship to get to. Paul said, we shouldn't go there. We should stay here until the winter winds pass. But everyone else wanted to go. And so they end up on this ship. And it says, beginning in verse 13, it says, Now when the south wind blew gently... Supposing that they had attained their purpose, they weighed anchor and sailed along Crete close to shore. Uh, it starts very nice. The south wind blew gently. But soon, a tempestuous wind called the Northeaster struck down from the land. And when the ship was caught and could not face the wind, we gave way to it and we were driven along. 
running under the lee of a small island called Cauda, we managed with difficulty to secure the ship's boat. After hoisting it up, they used supports to undergird the ship. Then fearing that they would run aground on the Sirtis, they lowered the gear and thus they were driven along. Since we were violently storm-tossed, they began the next day to jettison the cargo. And on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. And when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, no small tempest lay on us. All hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. Now, most of us are not sailors. And so we, we may miss a little something here about what's going on. But we can picture it if we, if we imagine uh, when, when the, the winds are blowing gently and it seems like a good time to start and there's a lot of excitement that comes uh, with the journey as we begin. But then a, a tempestuous wind, one of those winds that starts beating us in the face. I, I think of the story of that man in Haiti who was sitting in the corner for 36 hours in his house as the, the wind beat against the house, as the roof disappeared, and the wind was just on his face for that time. A tempestuous bit wind arose, and they hung on. When the ship was caught up and could no longer face the wind, it just was driven along, not being able to control anything anymore, but being driven by the wind in a direction that they didn't want to go. And it says that they were trying to stay close to a small island to try to find some security. And they managed with difficulty to secure the ship's boat um, What's that picture of it? Every ship had a, a boat, uh, something we're going to talk a little bit more about next week. But uh, they drug the lifeboat maybe, uh, you know, about 30 feet off of the back of the boat. Uh, and it was for it to be their escape if anything happened to the ship. And so uh, they weren't cutting it loose. But you can imagine after 20 and 30 miles that the, the wind and the waves are piling into the boat. And now it's filled with water. And, and they need to save the boat. And so they're, they're hoisting. These probably strong men trying to hoist a boat filled with water on board. And it's tiring. And it's exhausting. They bring down all the sails. They, they lower the gear. It says that they undergird the ship. Now, well, undergirding the ship, so they call it frapping, is in these old wooden boats that they would take these uh, cables and these strong ropes, and they would literally wrap it around the whole hole of the boat. And I can't imagine what that would take in the midst of wind and waves crashing, of trying to get these ropes around and securing those, or trying to hold on to whatever is falling apart. They undergird the ship. It says they try lowering the gear, bring the sails down, but they're still driven along. And so finally, after being violently storm-tossed, they begin to jettison the cargo. They even throw the very tackle that allows them to steer overboard because at this point, it's just trying to hold on and survive. And at the end, it says that there is darkness. There's no sun. There's no moon in these days. And for a sailor... That's the only way to find guidance. But it's just dark. And you can imagine whether we're a sailor or not, that at that moment, after days of this, just clinging there, that there is a sense of hopelessness, a so sense of despair. But we're not sailors, so we sometimes miss the picture of what's going on here. Um, 
I did have an opportunity. I did do some sailing in, in my life. And uh, so I kind of grasped the picture of this a little bit of, uh, you know, teaching team was hoping I would have some shipwreck story for you. I don't. Uh, but if you've ever been on the open sea where the, the waves come and they, they drench you and, and you need to pull the ropes Maybe you haven't been sailing, but you can picture in your mind. Maybe it's, it's the hike that you went on where you got lost in the woods and the water ran dry and you're physically exhausted. And in your mind, you start thinking, I don't know how we're going to get out of this. Maybe it's the marathon that you ran where you know that you're hitting the wall and physically you can't go on any further. You forget about, it doesn't matter what I look like anymore. I started the race kind of with my nice kind of running suit on. Now I just am trying to survive the road trip that you take as a family that starts out. All the kids are in the car. The songs are singing. The smiles are on the faces. Then one gets car sick. One needs to use the bathroom again and again and again. The DVD player's not working anymore, and you're just, once you get there, worn out. Maybe even it's starting a new semester, a new quarter at college, um, and it starts with a ton of excitement, something brand new, and then a few weeks in, you realize that you found the wrong friends. You realize that, Friends aren't coming very easy to find at all. You find that you've taken the first exam and there's some work that needs to be done. And we get this, okay? We, we're not sailors, but we understand what it feels like. When the gentle winds turn into the tempestuous winds, when we are beaten, when we are exhausted, when we are doing whatever we can to uh, get things done, and the waves and the wind, they just keep coming. The question that I have for us today is, is what do we do when we are beaten by the winds and the waves and they just keep coming and coming and coming? What do we do? A, a few options that I would give to us. Sometimes we begin to doubt or question God, whether he's even there. And maybe we, we believe that there's a God there. But we question whether he is good at all, whether he sees, whether he hears, whether he cares. I mean, let, let's just kind of be honest here for a minute. I brought a couple pictures from Haiti, from uh, the team at Danita's that's at work down there that is going to these places. We can't help but look there and say, God, we prayed and we thank you that you protected over here. But well, what's going on over here? And we ask questions. And ultimately, I... We, we have a God who invites us to ask questions. But sometimes we take it to a point where in the midst of the storm, we, we turn away from God. That is one of, one of the options of what we do when times get tough. We turn away from God. I already kind of gave that example. You know, every parent knows, you know, when the kids uh, raise their hands and, and come and want to cling to you. Every parent also knows this. When they turn the shoulder, cross their arms. Sometimes that's the position that we take um, in the midst of the trying times. God, maybe, maybe you're there. Maybe, maybe you care, but I just don't feel it right now. Sometimes we're like good sailors. 
I don't know if you, you can picture it, what the, what the sailors were doing in the midst of the storm. They are all over the deck of the ship. They're pulling on ropes. They're girding ships. They're jettisoning cargo. They're doing whatever it can take in their own power because they're good sailors, and they are trying to get through the storm. They've got through this before. Maybe I can get through it this time. And they try, and they try, and they are getting utterly exhausted And sometimes I wonder if, if we look like sailors on the deck of the ship. That first when the winds start coming up, we say, I know what to do in this case. I can get this done. Because we're strong people. We're capable people. We can get things done. Craig shared very vividly about this, what, what we tend to do. And then when that's not working out, then we try something else. And before we know it, we can end up in this scattered place. We know it. When we're parents and we start with the joy of what it's going to be to have children, but then it starts to get hard. And we want to get them in the right school, so we'll do whatever it takes. And then when they're there, we feel the pressures of keeping them on track. And so I need to cling for this activity and that activity. And before we know it, our schedule is over. We're just completely exhausted by it all. We're so desperate for a relationship that, that we show up and we uh, go to the right spots and it doesn't work there. So we go to another spot. And so we, we try to go to a church and it, it's great at first, but then it starts to get a little bit hard. And, and so, well, we need to try this other group or that other group. And, and, and then eventually, you know what, we need to just kind of forget that altogether and go look in this other place. And we go through this of, in our own power. There is a third option of what we do in the midst of the storm. And that is to not turn away from God or not to turn to our, ourself, but to turn to God. And to look to him. To, yes, ask our questions about the storm, but to ask them to a father that listens. I'm going to urge you to, to turn to God in the midst of this storm. That we, one day or another, come to a limit in ourselves. And this life brings us to our knees. And we realize, I can't do this anymore. Maybe it's this month. Maybe it's this year. Maybe it's 10 years from now. Maybe it's the day we're on our deathbed. And we realize, I say, I can't conquer this one. Eventually, we give up. The journey goes a little easier if we turn to God and walk with him through it. I'm going to urge you in that way. You know, in the midst of this storm, we see that Paul, this man that we've been following him on this journey, it says in verse 21, after they've been without food for a long time, Paul stands up among them. Now, I wonder this question, like, where has Paul been all this time? <laughs> where has Paul been in the midst of the storm? He's on the ship, we know that. He's a prisoner on the ship, so, I mean, some places, uh, we don't know really where he is. Maybe he's down below with the prisoners, just kind of being drug along in all of this. Maybe he's right there alongside all the other sailors, all hands on deck, including the prisoners. We need it all. So maybe his first response is to jettison some cargo as well. I don't know, maybe he's kind of piously praying in the midst of the storm, maybe. There's a picture of a, another man um, that we see in Mark chapter 4. Uh, it's Jesus um, that was on a boat as well, that was in a windstorm. 
Um, he had actually gotten his disciples after a busy time of ministry into a boat, and they're going across the lake. And it says this, that there was a great windstorm that arose. The waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. But Jesus was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and he rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. Now this astonished the, the disciples. And they said, who is this guy? Well, you, you want to know who Jesus was. He was the creator of the storm. He was the creator of the wind and the waves and all obeyed him. He was in control of it all. Paul was not the creator of the storm. He only knew the one who was. And Paul, at this point, had been walking with Jesus for 20, 30 years. And he had been through some storms in his life. And what we need to understand is that in our journey with Jesus, sometimes we don't always respond in the Jesus sort of way. But over time, as we are maturing, God is leading us on a path that enables us to uh, better view the circumstances and to move from the faith in ourself and in our ways and put in our faith in the one who is the creator of all things. Now, what I'm not saying here is that God has created your storm. But what I, we do need to realize is that there's nothing that happens out of God's control. And if God is allowing you to walk this path, he will walk with you and he will lead you through for his good purposes. What does Paul say when he stands up? Paul, this one who is not Jesus himself, he had just grown to be a little bit more Christ-like and he was able to be at peace internally even though he could not calm the storm externally inside. He had a focus that was on Christ. And so he stands up and he says to them, men, you should have listened to me and not set sail from Crete and incurred this injury or loss. Paul gives them an old, I told you so. But not in kind of the arrogant, prideful way, no. But he's telling them, say, I, I said that something like this was going to happen. Now maybe you'll listen to what comes next. He says, yet now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar and behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart. Paul urges them. It doesn't matter at this point how they ended up on this path. Whether it was their foolishness or whether it was just the circumstances that they were drug along with, it doesn't matter how you ended up here. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter where you've been. What matters is right now, what do we do in, in this moment? And Paul urges, speaking God's word, he says, I urge you, take heart. And that's the first thing that, I believe that God would urge you today, take heart, take heart, be encouraged. Actually, the word talks about even being cheerful, to be of good cheer. Now, 
we hate sayings that are just kind of like this simple, like half-hearted, like, oh, God is good. And you're sitting there in your circumstances and you say, he doesn't seem good to me with what I'm going through right now. I'm hurting. But yet, the words come and say, take heart. We don't take heart in our circumstances. The circumstances suck. What we take heart in is the same thing that Paul urged them, is a revelation from God, a revelation that God has given us. And Paul writes and says that, he speaks up and says, an angel came to me. This is different from, if you were here, you know, we talked about this perception that Paul sensed, like, this is going to go badly. This is different. This is now an angel came in the night, stood beside me, gave me a word from God. This is what God says. He says, do not be afraid, Paul. And the reason that Paul can stand up and say, okay, are we done on the deck? Let's take heart because he had heard from God. There's a revelation that had been given to that crew, to that shipful um, that came through Paul from God. Now, today, you and I can still take great comfort. We can take heart only when it is rooted in the revelation and truth of God. I'm not talking about empty phrases that we come with. I'm talking about what God has promised. The everlasting, eternal, almighty, sovereign God. He has given us his word, and I know that will probably come with some of us say, well, how do I know that the Bible is really God's word? But God has given us his revelation that we can know him, that we can know his faithfulness, that we can know his goodness. He has told us story after story of people so that our faith can be built up. That we can look and we can see, man, Paul went through it. That ship went through it, but we're going to see the end of the story when we get to it. That they did arrive where God had told them to. The Bible's full of that revelation. That we can know that uh, God is faithful. That God is good. Even when we doubt, even when we question, we come back to the revelation he's given us. I hope that on Sunday mornings when we teach, the reason that we teach God's word, and I don't just give you some uh, encouragement from my experience, is because uh, those encouragements are empty. It's only when our encouragement, we can only take heart not in our circumstances, not in one another who will always fail, but in God who will never fail. He said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. We take confidence, we take heart, we are cheered up even by the fact that God has given a revelation to all of us, but he has also given a calling to you. Now Paul's calling was, you're going to Rome, you're going to stand before Caesar. Now Paul had full confidence in that. What's your calling? Maybe you don't know right now what your specific calling is, but we have a general calling, friends. For those of us who are in Christ Jesus, you know what our calling is? Eternity in heaven with Jesus, a hope that is an anchor to our soul. If you are in Jesus Christ, this earth is not your end. No, you have eternity when he will wipe every tear from every eye. That is our calling, that when we get through this, we will be in glory. You have a calling that God has promised to walk through us. Walk through with us. And if he has you in a marriage, he is 
calling you to be a husband or, or a wife, and he will walk you through. If you are a parent and you are raising your children and God and that, he will see you through. Now, the external circumstance, we already talked about this, the journey can get a lot different than what we ever thought it would be. But God is with us and he will walk with us. We can take confidence in that. We can take heart. He says to us, take heart, have faith. For we have faith in God that it will be exactly as we have been told. We have faith in God. Some of you just kind of need to hear a word of encouragement this morning. You're, you're in the midst of it and you're, you're feeling it and, and it's hard and you want to quit. This week has been one that has you on your knees and you're ready to walk away. Walk away from Jesus. Walk away from your family. Walk away from trying to walk the path that Jesus has for you. And you need to hear this morning, take heart. Take heart. Because God is leading us through. If all you could do is muster a step of getting here this morning, God wants to speak to you. And more than a word that comes from a speaker on stage, he wants his spirit to minister to you, to, to comfort you, to counsel, to surround you with, with his arms, but also the arms of people who want to love you, pray for you, guide you through. Take heart. Some of you may kind of be like, I, I, hear, I hear it, I've heard it a lot of times before. And you know, kind of how you're just like turn, turning off to some of that. You say, that's great, pastor guy. Tell me that, but I'm just done. There's a truth in our life that we need to, to understand that comes um, not just in the have faith part, but it comes in, in verse 26, where Paul has just said, um, we're going to make it through, but... We're going to run aground on some island. Now, we would love to stop at verse 25. But I think we struggle in taking heart because we miss the deeper truth that comes with following Jesus. That sometimes we need to run aground on some island. That's not just for Paul back then. That is for every one of us. The deeper truth and the deeper reality, reality is that our journey with Jesus on this earth was never intended to be a pleasure cruise. It was never intended to be a simple, easy path. Like Jesus said, if anyone wants to follow after me, deny yourself. Take up your cross daily. And follow me. Because you're going to have to lose yourself to gain what I have for you. He said when some people wanted to follow, he said right off the bat, count the costs. We're not going to have a place to put our head down. There's going to be people who mock and persecute and even want to kill you for my sake. So count the cost and follow me. But we get in this idolatry of comfort sometimes. Where we think that following Jesus is supposed to be not only easy for eternity, but it's supposed to be easy on earth. Uh, Jesus 
talked about this in John chapter 16. Jesus himself said this to prepare his followers. He said, I, I've said these things to you, in other words, that it's going to be hard, that you may have peace. And then he promises this, in the world you will have tribulation and troubles, but take heart, I've overcome the world. Jesus says, I want you to be able to have peace in the midst of these circumstances, but you need to understand this. It's the promise none of us want to claim. It's the promise that Jesus gave us that in this world you will have troubles. Now, part of those troubles are just because the reality of humanity is that we're all on a big shipwreck of humanity. Ever since sin came into the world, that uh, this ship is going down. And it is a wreck. And we are caught up in the brokenness, even the pain, the death, the suffering, the health issues. That's all part of that brokenness. Because we decided to go our own way, God said, I'll let it go. But I'm going to come and hop on board that ship. So that even though things on earth are tough, there's still a hope for the future. And I bring you back to me. So some of the things that we experience, we're just stuck up in this, this uh, crazy brokenness of humanity. So when we go through that, you know, we are not saved from standing in the DMV line because we're Christians. We still have to wait in line for our groceries and wait in line for traffic. But So what God has done is said, like, when you're going through that stuff, look for me. Look for me. I'll be right there with you. And he wants to not only rescue us from the brokenness, but he wants to teach us in our hearts to be who Christ was. And so in the midst of all the pain, are we looking to him to teach us, even in the most broken of circumstances? I spent this last week at a a funeral um, for a family member, extended family that was, um, they're not believers. It's not known if there's any eternal hope. And it's just tough. It's just tough. And the reality is, the longer that you walk in life, the more pain and suffering you're going to encounter. And the same goes for those. Jesus is not a, a quick escape from that. We need to understand that. But we also need to understand that not only is it just kind of the the humanity stuff, by following Jesus, you choose to walk a path that Jesus walked. And it was a path that led to glory, but it was a path that went through the cross. And so as we follow after Jesus, our path to glory is one through suffering. And kind of the, the second level that we need to understand is If you follow Jesus seriously, intentionally, devotedly, you may actually incur more pain and suffering. If you step forward as a witness for Christ, you may encounter more mocking, more persecution, more pain. If you actually open your Bible and let God's word soak deep into your heart and be an authority and direct your behavior. You may have to give up more that you don't want to give up. If you allow God to, to direct your relationships, he may call some to end 
so that you can experience what he has for you. But be assured that any pain, any suffering we walk through is led with greater glory. 1 Peter chapter 4 says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings. Rejoice, we are told, that you may also rejoice and be glad when your glory is revealed. You see, it's hard. It's painful. I don't have time to share with you all of the theology of it. Um, I did on the app. I posted some scriptures, about 51 of them, about hardship and suffering. And you can find them there. And you can grapple through what God has to say because we will say, why? 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 But here's what we know. That in, in the midst of it, God has promised he will never leave us. He will never forsake us. He will reach out to us. And how do we know that God is good? How do we know that he's there for us? I realize this because if if I'm a dad, I have two choices when my kids reach out to me. They're a little bigger now, so maybe they can reach my shoulders, but it used to be they could reach my belt buckle. I have a choice. Either I stand up and let them try to grab and reach for me. Or I can bend down and meet them where they are. God bent down to us and met us where we are when he sent his son to the cross. He didn't wait for us to try to earn our way to him or to try to get bigger and to try to get more grown up and to be able to do more in and of ourselves in the right way. No, he came down and he met us in our mess. He met us in our infancy, in our lostness, in our brokenness. He said, if you'll reach up to me, you can rest assured. I'm a good, good father. I'm going to be there for you. And we can know that if we have a God who so loved us, in our brokenness and in our sin, that he sent his son to die a painful death on the cross, to take our sin on himself, that we could have a hope of coming back to him. We can rest assured that he wants to see you through. But we, no matter how we ended up in this place, we have a decision of what we do from here. Do we continue to turn away? Some of you are in that place where you are you're so hurt, so wounded, so broken, so questioning that your heart has become hardened to God. And you're maybe not sitting here physically like this, but in your heart, you've turned away from God. He, he yearns for you to turn back to him today, to, to reach back to him. We call it in a word, repentance where we literally change the direction of where we're going. And, and if you've been over here today, change your direction and turn back to him. He has a path of life for you. He has a path he wants to lead you on. Others of us, maybe we're not here, but maybe we're scrambling all over the deck, trying to take care of our own business. We say, I can figure this out. I can do it. I am strong. Yes, you are strong. And God will let you try to figure things out as long as you will keep going. But when that day comes, when all hope is lost and you are brought to your knees, that you can't do it anymore, that is a place where God wants to meet you. 
and you surrender. And if you're in that place of saying, I can figure this out. I can just do one more thing. I can get through this. Do not wait. Today is a day of surrender to, to letting it go. To recognize all hope in myself is lost. And only when all hope is lost can true hope be found. We rise and we, we follow. It's not just that we give up on the stuff of our life. It's that we receive what Jesus has for us. And we follow him through the storm. Not going our path, not trying to do it on our own, but we follow him because we believe that there's a God who wants to see us through. He loves us. He sent his son for you. And he's ready to lead you through. So, Jesus, we come before you. We invite this morning, God, for you to do your wrecking work within us. God, maybe we came in thinking we were strong. You're showing us that there's a limit to our strength. Maybe we came in here broken, already on our knees. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would come and that you would do a work in our hearts right now. That for those of us who have hardness in our heart, that you would, in a moment, that you would soften our hearts. That you would melt our hearts of stone and give us a heart of flesh. God, for those of us who can remember a, a time when we started the journey in joy and hope and uh, raising our arms to you and turning to you in all things, but we find ourselves now turning from you or we find ourselves continually trying ourselves. We're exhausted, Jesus. We are tired and we are weary. We are hurt and we are hindered. We're wandering and lost. Jesus, meet us where we are. God, for those of us who are, just need to hear those words, to, to take heart. That this would be a moment where not only would we survive another week, not only would our marriages survive, not only would our kids uh, make it through a week, not only would uh, our would come to a hurt subside for a moment, but that we would come to a place where we would truly be joyful. That even though our circumstances don't change, that we would have a hope that is rooted in the revelation that you've given us. Speak your truth into our hearts. And God, help us as a community to carry one another, to love one another, to encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today, because this world is tough. Jesus, we need you. We need you. We are here. We are bowing our heads. We are opening our hearts. We are raising our hands. We are hitting our knees because we recognize we need you, Jesus. Lead us through in your name.